1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Matt Baker. He's the SVP of Corporate Development and International at FreshBooks. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been a long-time FreshBooks user myself, so know the product, understand the product. And when I got approached to have you on the show, I was like, of course. I love talking to people that I've actually like used their products, especially for a number of years. But maybe before we get into your role and books, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
2: Oh, great! Yeah, so I'm I'm from what I would call suburban Michigan, okay. uh, outside of, outside of Detroit.
1: Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, you know,
2: it's always, it's one of those things. It's like how yeah, informed are you when you choose? Uh, you know, I ultimately got a degree in English. Um, and what I found was I had started in a in a business program, and business is ultimately in a way what you know my career has gone towards. But I f- found it a bit too dry for what I was just interested in at the time, um, and I gravitated more towards classes where um, I thought the content was a little bit more interesting. I think ultimately, when I look back on it now, what the English degree set me up for was just getting more comfortable writing. And um, doing so in a critical or sort of analytical way. So it's a lot of essay writing and, uh, you know, proving arguments and things of that. And, you know, when I was growing up, I generally tested better in math than any other subject. So I think in some ways, choosing something like English, well, I liked it because, you know, you could read books and then write an essay about the book kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I think it helped me just be a little bit more well-rounded and, and, and able to communicate a little bit more strongly than just kind of focusing on, uh, you know, the financial side of something, you know, math or business or what have you.
1: No, that that's actually really interesting because you spend so much time, obviously, writing, especially when you're in business. And I think a lot of people struggle to write. Right? Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I even think you know one of the things that I often have to do is write a proposal. Now, this sure. proposal can be about you know some new business relationship. It could be about some company that I think we should acquire. It could be about some new market we should enter. That proposal, in a lot of ways its ability to be persuasive and influence others is based on the writing. Uh, you know, you, you, could, you could structure it a lot of different ways in terms of, you know, the background and the, and the recommendation and the, and, the, and the rationale, et cetera. But your ability to get your thoughts across in a concise way um, makes a huge difference in, in my mind. And, you know, some people do it better with, with a pen and some people do it better sort of talking. Um, but, but that sort of, you know, being able to put together um, an, an argument really is, you know, how, how things get done a lot of times.
1: No, I hundred percent agree with you, so you get out of uh, university, walk us through your career up into fresh books and actually getting your m b a
2: yeah, well, I'd certainly be happy to share a little bit of that and try to give you the uh the uh the cliffs notes on that one sure. so you know i I sort of was in this boat where when i finished i I kind of thought jobs would just be available, and it's a little bit you know naive, certainly looking back on it, but I just you know didn't realize. And what it would take to go out and find these jobs, I just you know assumed that there'd be more people coming to campus and offering jobs and things of that nature and While there was some of that i didn 't find any of it particularly interesting and, and particularly in michigan it 's a lot of automotive work, and I have family members that have done that through the generations and so at that time in particular, the automotive industry was a bit stale and so you know I just wanted something a little bit more exciting. what I ended up choosing to do was go to um Europe uh, and I wanted to um Since I had an English degree, I didn't really want to be a teacher full-time, but I thought, you know what, I could teach English, and that's a way to get um, into that space and spend some time. So I actually spent two years in France. I was uh, an an English teacher at high school uh, in two different different areas, and um, it was it was great in a lot of ways, just to try, sort of, it was humbling in the sense of immersing yourself in another culture and not really speaking the language and things like that. I had I studied Spanish when I was, you know, in, in, in high school and university. So a bit of a leap to get there. And I found it, you know, challenging, but also re- rewarding. And certainly, though, after two years, I felt like I got a chance to travel through Europe and just. Feel like I knew the world a little better, um, but ultimately, as well, I felt like I didn't really have a career. So it was like I, I got to get back and you know figure out what's next on the, on the horizon. And when I came back, um, is when I first moved uh, to the West Coast, and you know I was just fascinated by the tech industry because it seemed like um, things were moving so quickly. And so that's where my career took me next. Luckily, I met some folks and, and found an entryway into uh, into Google. And this was back in you know roughly uh 2005 and so i ended up spending four or five years at google and that was where i got into the whole space of SaaS, like software as a service with subscription pricing with uh uh, software that serves small businesses that whole market is where you know that whole uh, market is where i got my experience at at google and that's you know in a lot of ways what led me to a place like like freshbooks eventually um is that it's a similar type of business model in in a similar market and and after Google, I'd gone back. but That's when I decided to do the MBA that you, you had mentioned. Um, and, and part of that rationale was I just felt like there was some, um, you know, some sort of leadership and business skills that were uh, needed to run these companies at scale. And I just didn't, didn't have much exposure to that at all. So I felt like, um, you know, going back to school was a great way to... Um, to, to get that exposure. Um, and then when I got out of there, I uh, did some consulting for a little while, which again is just more of kicking the hand down the road of not deciding exactly what you're going to do, but it allows you to you know, work with a bunch of different other companies. And then um, after a couple of years of that is finally, you know, that's about five years ago now. And that's when I decided, you know what, what I really liked back in the Google days was being in this small business software space and tech company. I really liked that. And then what I really liked in this consulting space was you know, making important decisions uh, or at least helping to make important decisions for companies. And if I could find a way to bring those two together in one role, that would be pretty exciting. And that's um, ultimately when I, when I joined FreshBooks to to do a role in corporate strategy was my first sort of gig at, at FreshBooks. And it was, um, you know, at that time, a, a you know, a company of 200 people. And, you know, it was a great opportunity to, to you know, bring what I knew about the, the, the market, but also try to help influence the overall strategy of the, of the company.
1: No, very cool. So, how did you get a job at FreshBooks, and and walk us through your journey in FreshBooks? Because you've you've had a few roles there now over the the years that you've been there.
2: Yeah, well, certainly, just in terms of getting in the door, one of the things I looked at, at back back at that time, about five years ago, was um, I was living in Toronto at the time, and I was uh, looking at who had raised uh, venture capital as a signal to me that you know they were looking to grow. And they might you know, um, find you know, someone with my background useful. And so FreshBooks uh, had you know just that six months ago or so from the time I'd reached out to them, they had just you know raised um, their first uh, you know round of venture capital. and um, And luckily, they were looking for someone that could help with with strategy. And, and they'd kind of realized that that that's you know that could be helpful to them as they went through that fundraising process. Um, they realized that you know that there's some some strategic questions that they'd like to you know get clearer on or or, or work or work through and so luckily that, that fit and it was pretty common for a lot of people who were in the consulting industry to move into strategy roles so that was a great way to make the transition initially back into uh, a tech company and then what I found uh, over time there is I started as we mentioned in the in corporate strategy role which is um, you know advising a lot of units and then uh, you know part of the business units. And then, um you know a couple of years later is when I started to move more directly into having some operational oversight in, into these um various units um and so you know it I've taken on some new functions like uh, at one point I was um uh, responsible for the p r team, which was a new you know sort of functional area for me, which is you know interesting to learn about, but um, at the same time, I bought a different sort of um perspective to it, which, you know, uh, hopefully was helpful. And we made a big push into doing things like that we would call data PR, which is using our data to tell narratives out in the market. And, you know, that certainly is pretty, pretty common to place now. Um, You know, even something simple, like what do people charge per hour per vertical? You know, is this something that, um, you know, is super interesting and it's kind of information we have and we can certainly share. So um, that, that was, you know, a great opportunity to learn some of those. And then where it's sort of gravitated to today is, um, firstly, I'm, uh, responsible for, um, our international business and that's just, you know, how can we grow, um, you know, globally and not just, you know, our headquarters in Toronto and our largest, you know, customer bases in the U S, but outside of those two markets, how else, you know, can we grow and where, and how do we have to shape what we do to effectively, you know, be a global company. And so that's been a really exciting, uh, Opportunity, and then the other big one that I'll mention is um, in the title there is corporate development, which is about um, having a, a process in place where we look to acquire a company um, that can help us in one way or another. Either you know it's a piece of technology that if we acquire that, then it saves us time and we have to build it ourselves, or it's a way to get us into a new vertical or a new market. Or you know, there, there's some strategies in place with, based on the kind of companies we look at, but that's a a super interesting place and it's always, you know, this whole area of corporate development is always this um, needle in a haystack thing. So you got to really look at a lot of companies to find the one that fits because it's got to fit, you know, on um, the size of the deal. It's also got to fit timing wise. And anyway, there's a lot that's got to go right. Uh, but we've certainly learned a lot through, through that, um, through that function.
1: No, no, very cool. So FreshBooks has been around, I think since like 2003. And I know like I actually saw Mike, your CEO a number of years ago, do this like one day kind of entrepreneurial uh kind of co- course at, at the future of web apps in las vegas a number of years ago so i actually got to meet him but for people that have haven't heard of FreshBooks, what do you guys do and how have you guys grown over the years
2: well, th- thanks for asking. And certainly, you know, I just um, tell people we've been around for more than 10 years. I think uh, you know you're, you're probably spot on with the 2003, but it's just you know meant to say you know we've been around for a long time. Um, and and Mike, who who you met, is one of our three co-founders and, and our CEO. And and he was running a, a web design business effectively. He, was, he had a number of clients, and he's helping them with their websites to draw, drum up business. And um, and he was and he was having his own trouble with uh, invoicing. And at the time he was using uh, some basic tools like Microsoft word to create an invoice. And then you got to resave it every time. And and he found himself just making more errors uh, and headaches than it was worth. And so he uh, had started the first stage of building a solution for himself to try to automate some of that. And what he found out, you know, through that process was that um, a bunch of his clients um, or, or colleagues said, Oh, you know, I'd like that too. And it turned out that he, you know, ultimately felt like there was a bigger opportunity to, build this invoicing tool than to to run the web design firm and and i think that you know certainly proven out uh the test of time of, of uh, quite a bit and um and anyhow so that's what we started as a, as an invoicing an online invoicing tool you know sort of born in the cloud so it was never any of this uh you know on-premise stuff uh by any means so it was in the cloud started with online invoicing and then we just added more features based on um serving this unique group of of small business owners and self-employed professionals that want to invoice for their you know, for their income for their time and expertise, and so we've added things on there like the ability to track time so you can push on an invoice, or the ability to sync a bank account so you can move some of your expenses to rebuild them to to clients, and, and you know, and ultimately we've added a, a whole bunch of accounting features because at the end of the day, once you have all their invoices and you have the bank account, then you can do profit and loss statements and everything else that's needed for tax time readiness. Uh, and that's, you know, effectively how, how we've grown, but we've stayed very, uh, true to the, 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 uh, the entrepreneur or the self-employed pro or the small business owner, whatever you want, whatever, you know, title you want to give them, but that's, that's who we serve. And, um, and it's always, you know, the type of service-based business where, where eventually they're going to need to invoice for their, for their time. So we generally don't serve a lot of retail or e-commerce or those types of business. It's really, you know, it's a service-based entrepreneur and, um, and anyhow, that's that's the part that you know just hasn't uh, has has stayed the same while you know we've continued to to innovate in other ways.
1: No, I I think that's that's very cool. And you guys were one of the first, in my opinion, anyway, to actually like be able to like send an invoice and like include a PayPal or or a Stripe account to just like get paid with a credit card, right? And and back in the day when I was freelancing a bunch like obviously getting paid in a relatively short period of time compared to like 60 or 30 or, or 90 days. Right. It was nice that they could just like punch in their credit card number and, and you'd get paid, you know, within a few days. Right.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's absolutely true. And and that's the spot where, you know, funny enough, that's a space where we're still trying to help them I mean, the average invoice gets paid late. Um, you know especially if it's not being done online so we're looking for more and more more ways to offer these online payments helping people get paid faster that's one of our core value props and so we're just trying to find you know if somebody you know you, you know you mentioned like PayPal is a good example that's like an online wallet versus does someone want to pay with a credit card or do they just want to pay you know with their bank account like a debit type of transaction and so we're we're continuing to introduce new ways to make that payment you know more seamless and and easy and it's a little bit of threading um the needle, so to speak, of, you know, we want to find the payment options that the, the small business owners themselves want to, uh, you know, enable. And then we also have to find the options that the client at the end of the day is willing to to use because, you know, particularly if you um, were doing some of that freelance work that you mentioned, if you're, you know, if you're working for a large company, then they have their own, you know, payout processes, which can take a long time and, you know, um, largely, you know, are dictated by their procurement groups and all the same. So anyway, we're just trying to break down some of those walls and just making it, easier and easier to you know get paid on time and consistently
1: no totally right and then being able to track expenses related to what you're doing or you know i've been using you guys too for like even the show invoices to send for sponsors and, and stuff like that and, and so just being able to kind of track everything in one place and, and and pull it up on kind of your different devices and your app works pretty well and and then the reporting right at the end of the year you kind of just Print off a whole report, and you just fire it off to the accountant, and and you know if they have questions, you answer them. But for the most part, I found the whole process from kind of day one to actually getting your taxes done at the end of the year really se- seamless, right and, and painless.
2: Yeah, and what we found when we look at the market data, the U.S. is actually trailing some other markets like Australia, in the U.K. in terms of adoption of software like ours, whether you call it invoicing or accounting software. Um, And so it's around something like one in three, you know, people that uh, you'd call a small business owner, only about one in three are using some kind of software. So the other two thirds, um, you know, they're they're basically, you know, they're running spreadsheets on their own to kind of track this stuff. Or they got a bunch of folders where they're doing it or they got a notebook where they're logging things and, you know, or it's just or it's just, you know, in a bunch of individual apps that don't really, you know, connect into one uh, thing. So. So certainly, we just you know strongly believe that you know more and more people are going to come online and see that you know just giving putting this stuff online is super helpful. And so for us, it's um, some of our simplest features, like when you send an invoice, we will automatically send reminders for you. You know that's yeah, just that's one nice. example of automation. That you know it's just um, you know it's almost like once you have that, why why would you ever walk away from it? You know. And so yeah. and by the way, we're not the only ones to do it. Lots of them do it now. But the point is, if you don't have any online, you know, accounting solution or, or, or such, um, you know, that you just, you, you end up doing a lot of manual work. So, so anyhow, we believe that um, we can still help lots of folks that are they're still on the manual side of things.
1: Sure. Well, and even just the entrepreneurs using your system as well, right? Just not having to send reminders to get paid, right? Like usually when you're small as an entrepreneur, you're sometimes it just, just you yourself doing everything, right? And so the more you can automate or offload to third party tools like Freshbooks, it just makes a lot of sense right
2: yeah i couldn't, I couldn't agree more, and I just you know part of the reason that I really like this space a lot is i you know I'm inspired by small business owners that have to wear all those hats I mean they really have to be you know the 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 you know the c f o and the lead salesperson and the lead you know doer of executing the work and, and anyhow any any role you can think of they got to do that, so the more that there's automation. Um, certainly the, you know, the more, um, that we help small businesses succeed and they're a huge part of the, you know, the economy. And so, um, yeah, for all those reasons, uh, you know, hopefully, um, the, and by the way, I think all the tools out there are getting better and better, um, each year. So I think, um, that that's a great sign.
1: Sure. So then how does it work going from being maybe like an entrepreneur or a small team, to actually using your um, your team's version of FreshBooks? Like, what's the transition? Is there a transition? And what's the similar and different between, you know, kind of your your two different plans? Well, I guess it's more than that. But, you know, how, how what is similar and different about being an individual compared to a team using FreshBooks?
2: Okay. Uh, I follow you on that one. I think that, you know, the way that I think about it is it's just an extension of the individual. So if we start with the individual, every business has an owner. Right. And that owner, uh, you know, um, is, is who we solve for at the, you know, at the core of who, who do we build this application for? Well, we built it for the for the business owner. And there's, so there's so many things that, you know, that we're trying to enable them to be able to do easier or, you know, through automation or what have you. And then, and then as a value add to that, what we're trying to say is, OK, now link in all the people that you, that you need to work with. I mean, certainly you, you link in your clients because you're sending them invoices, but you can also link in a client to collaborate on a project. You can add an employee and then you can decide which permissions you want that employee to be able to do. Or you can add a contractor, which is, a you know, sort of more like a, a non-employee, but somebody who's still doing work for you. And, and you can certainly even invite your accountant. So I look at it more like those are roles in the network um, and you can decide what you want to do. But lots of people, when they add their employees, for instance, what they have their employees do is track time against projects, because ultimately then somebody... Is responsible for billing out on all the all the uh, all the project or the client work, right. um, or they have their employees. Uh, if not logging time, then they log expenses. So use it as a way to get all the expenses in the, into the into one place um, for for their uh, for their work. And so, anyway, it's use cases like that um, that enables the team to to collaborate on on client work at the end of the day.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense. That's that's very cool. So. Where do you guys kind of see the space going or do you have any predictions? Like you mentioned, more and more people are going to come online and that I think obviously drives what you guys are doing. So how do you decide what features to keep the platform relevant, but also make sure that you don't just bloat the thing with every wild request that people have for you guys?
2: Yeah, I mean that's a fascinating one and the one that our, our you know product managers are struggling with, you know, every day and and one of the lessons I learned at Google when I was there at the time was if you just listen to the feedback from customers and you just do exactly what they say, what oftentimes you'll miss, you know, the things that you'd call vision, you know visionary or the things right. that are that, that that they need that they don't even know they need, you know. So so I think you do have to find the right trade. I mean, you absolutely have to to listen to your customers and we do a lot of customer interviews, but it can't be, you know, you can't necessarily just give them the reins and say, well, what do you want us to do? You know, you, so you have to have a bit of a, a vision of what you're trying to to accomplish. And the way that we think about that, I mean, certainly uh, when you mention trends, you know, I think that the small business, in the U.S. at least, uh, the, the census says there's something around 30 million small businesses, 6 million of those are, have employees, and so the other 24 million don't. And then there's other reports out there that say as much as 50, 60 million people in the U.S. are doing some kind of independent work, like a freelance thing, which means that it could be on the side of a traditional job. But those numbers are just staggering. There's lots and lots. And even when we survey people who have traditional jobs and we say, hey, how interested you know, are you in, in working for yourself? And do you really intend to become self-employed in the future? Those numbers are also staggering. It's sort of like te- you know tens of millions of people. And so if you believe that that sort of trend is, is coming, then it's a really exciting space to be in. And, you know, it sort of signals to me that you know, perhaps the American dream in terms of your career has has shifted. It's not to climb the corporate ladder um, or to stay at one company for 30 years. It's actually to gain more control over your career, be self-employed, take on different challenges um, and and sort of, you know, set your own terms, so to speak. That seems to be more where the, you know, the American dream is going. And so, you know, what we want to do is effectively just continue to solve for that business owner, um, put them first, make sure that, you know, the decisions we make are, you know, in, in their best interest, um, and continue to, you know, stay true to that, you know, those verticals that we're in. So I think that's our way of trying to, you know, stay committed to a group and, um, not, you know, just add, you know, bloat for the sake of, of, of bloat, you know, certainly, you know, every year our, our product gets, um, you know, gets new features, but I think we also try to streamline and and think about uh, things that we can do that will you know automate certain things entirely, so you don't have to do it anymore, or just you know do it in fewer clicks and things like that. So anyway, I think it's a little bit of a uh, an ebb and flow in terms of um, you know how you how you build that over time, but certainly we try to keep you know our ear to the ground, so so to speak, and and think about what's going to be best uh, you know for for our for, for the businesses, and and by staying close to the businesses, effectively how we can prioritize.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with you. And I, I do think especially um, people with an entrepreneurial mindset definitely obviously want to work for themselves one day and, and they're probably a lot of them start part-time or or a few hours a week before they actually make the jump to being fully self-employed. So what are your thoughts and advice around making people kind of I get it's never like hundred percent guaranteed because most things in life aren't. But how do you kind of de-risk that move from, say, your your steady job with a steady paycheck into being self-employed? Do you have any advice around that?
2: Well, I certainly really like this. Uh, you know, the, the idea of a side hustle. Um, you know, doing something part-time. I think it's a great way to test you know, test your ability to deliver on that concept to test, you know, how much you actually like that work to test, you know, is it, you know, is it as fulfilling or is it as worthwhile as you think? So I really like this idea of a side hustle. What I would say to folks is, you know, think of it as a temporary thing. I mean, nobody really starts a side hustle that says, Oh, you know, I'd love to just work two jobs instead of one, you know, (laughs) really what you're, 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 what you're testing is your ability to do that sort of full time. But I think, you know, this, this idea of, uh, you know, treading into it lightly is a way of, um, you know, de-risking it, right? Because I think a lot of times what we see, you know, is that in, in the small business market, lots of small businesses, there's, I mean, there's, it's just factual, lots of small businesses fail every year. Sure. Um, and, you know, some of that is, you know, largely uncontrollable. Some of that, though, you know, if there was a bit of a test in market, you might be able to, um, you know, change your model a bit so that you'd be more successful, or you might realize, hey this this isn't quite you know as strong as i thought it was going to be i got to you know figure out a different path so i just for what it's worth i really like the test as long as you can um as long as you can keep it you know um defined in time just so it doesn't feel like you're just doing this extra thing in perpetuity and then on top of that i think there's some there's some specific uh you know things that that we that we see when we talk to people about you know are you um Ready to go and do it, and and people say, "Okay, well, here's some of the barriers." Um, Uh, And so, um, you know, that often tends to be things like, uh, "Do I have enough money to do this?" And so, you know, one simple way is to, you know, think through that a little bit, but have a bit of savings. And sometimes it's not savings to start the business because maybe it's one of these um, businesses that you know, if you're going to be a consultant, you can just start doing that for the most part. Um, But you might need savings uh, that you can live off of for for a few months until you get that business going. And so that's a way to think about, you know, reducing. Um, a, a barrier there. Uh, So anyway, test it out. Have some have some savings. Uh, the other thing that we hear a lot is you know people concerned about health insurance, and so that's something uh, that you know is maybe not the easiest thing to solve, but certainly you can look into it in advance. You can check out you know healthcare.gov or some of these other places and see what you're you know what you're really signing up to. By the way, most programs or most employers, if you're you know if you're making the switch, you can move on to like a temporary program of theirs in the short term, but you still got to fix it you know eventually. So sure. The sooner sooner you get your head around that, the better. And then, you know, one other big group I'll mention is just um, really interesting is, is this barrier around um, people worried about inconsistent income. And and frankly, that's it's a it's a, it's a good worry to have because it's accurate. Um, but one way to de-risk is to think through what that might look like for your business. And and you know, the term that I often use is that your your income will be lumpy. And um, what that means is that in most traditional jobs, you know, you get paid every two weeks or um, you know twice a month, and you might have an end of year bonus or something like that. But for the most part, there's stability there that you can rely on. And then once you start working for yourself, it, more or less, that all goes out the window. Right. Um, and so you got to think through a little bit of what's that going to look like. And it's just a way of de-risking it. So if, if you know, if your typical project that you're going to work on for somebody, if it's a you know a three a two month project, let's say. Um you to understand like okay, you're gonna have multiple going any time so that every month you're still finishing one or you need to, you know, start, you know, doing milestone payments so that you're not waiting till the end of every project to get paid. Right. Um and, you know, there's other solutions you can put out there, but I think this idea of thinking about what is the income gonna look like, especially if it's a seasonal business or something of that nature, um, you just gotta think about smoothing it out. And um anyhow, I think it's it's uh it's one other way to de risk. I mean, it's funny to me that um having gone through some financial training myself, a, a good example is a, um, a public uh, school teacher. They you know, generally work nine months a year um, or 10, I mean, however you think of the summer. Right. And then they have an option where they'll get paid when they work or they can smooth it out and get paid over 12 months. Right. And from all the people that I've talked to, they always choose the 12-month one and it's because they want the consistency of it. But if you were really... You know, thinking of it from a financial standpoint, you would want your money sooner because, assuming right. you have your money, the more the more it's worth. Right. Uh, you know, if you're delaying that money, there's a time associated with that, and so don't want to go too deep on that. But it's just, you know, it's 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 sort of not the most rational decision, but it gives you peace of mind. And so I just um, think that that's an important thing to recognize that this lumpiness is is hard to um, is hard to. Uh, swallow. And so just, um, you know, when you think about de-risking, it's going into that eyes wide open, but also thinking about how you can smooth it out a bit.
1: No, that's actually really good advice. And and the other thing that I've learned uh, like within the last few years is majority of the biggest companies that have ever existed that are even still around today, like Apple and Google and, and even like Ford, like all started as a side hustle. Like they worked other jobs at the beginning. And so I always find it interesting when investors are like, you need to be all in. It's like, well, not everybody has the option to always be all in, right? And it's like turning the tables on an investor. It's kind of like, well, they're not putting all their money on you. So like, and especially if you're bootstrapping, right? Like depending on how you choose to go into self-employment, whether you're taking money or not taking money, sometimes you don't really have the option, right? And I think just putting it into perspective, like trying to, figure out milestones to get paid faster or or have a little bit of money come in while you're working in a second job and like you said maybe set a goal saying if i'm not making x amount of dollars after six months or a year then i need to reevaluate if i still want to keep doing this or not but i think it's just getting people to think about some of the things that they think of these big hurdles right where they're not as big in a lot of cases as people think is that fair to say
2: Yeah, I I mean, I like your point about how most of these, you know, uh, companies that you've looked into, it started as something that was a side project. And it started as an idea that someone had, but it wasn't, you know, what they immediately came out of school doing or what they immediately did as soon as they, you know, decided to enter the workforce. And so these things start small, right? And then it's like, you got to have some wins and you got to build it out. And so uh, I, I would, anyway, for what it's worth, I agree with you 100%. And I think a lot of times, you know, people that may say something like, you got to be all in, they're probably really, that's, you know, that's more of, uh, you know, what's on the surface. But if you think of the iceberg concept, you know, underneath the surface, there's a lot more going on there. And it's probably, you know, they're not sure about something else, but they're kind of couching it in this idea, well, you know, that, well, if you were doing it full time, maybe I'd think about differently. But, um, you know, so I think you got to be careful sometimes with the feedback that that you get. Um, But certainly, you know, I think if you have a, If you have an idea and you get it out there and then you can see momentum, you can see yourself building, as long as you're continuing to grow, you'll get to the point where you do it full time. You you know, like nothing will stop you doing that. So I think it's more around you got to find something that you feel like you can, you know, you can invest time and effort into and it will in turn become this bigger, you know, this bigger thing. And that's ultimately where that, you know, where that growth comes from and whether you know whether it takes you you know two months or two years to grow it you know that's kind of more, more you know based on you you know what you're willing to um, you know what you're willing to put in.
1: No, I 100 percent agree with you. So I, I guess um, if that many people want to be self-employed in the next few years or sometime in their career, should kind of businesses be worried that a bunch of people are going to leave them? Or how do they make sure that maybe they incubate the entrepreneurial spirits in their companies to make sure they stay so they can both win? Like, what are your thoughts around that?
2: Yeah, well, I absolutely think employers should be worried. I think there's two sides to that coin. And maybe just start with the first one, sure. which is, uh, abs- you know, certainly I think they should be worried. And what I've seen in the market you know is that you know one is that um you know so your commitment to your employer i think has gone down through through this generation compared to you know the baby boomers or something like that but that's also structurally true because you know you don't have pensions the same way it's this it's this defined uh um contribution versus you know versus that you get a you know it's more like a retirement plan versus they're going to you know pay your retirement and, um, you know, it's just seen a lot more acceptable to switch around um, uh, from one, you know, from one job to another. And so I just think that, you know, inherently people are much more comfortable moving around. And so I think for what's worth, a lot of employers should, should be a bit concerned about that. What, what are we really doing to keep our employees? And then, um, you know, but I also see some things happening, like uh, remote work is getting a lot more acceptable. Right. Um, and so when I when I looked at the data. So one of the things we do every year, we do a sort of a big study of people who have jobs, uh, self, who have traditional jobs and self-employed jobs. And we go through a bunch of questions. But one of the things that we look at is, why do you want to be self-employed? And you know, I, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but it usually stems around this idea of control. I want to control my income. I want to control my hours. I want to control where I work and who I work for. And it's all this control piece. And so what I would say is, I think a lot of employers are starting to try to Give that control back to their employees, and 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 make it clear to them that oh you want to work from home okay well here's the process and here's how you do it you know that that's okay as long as it's not you know every day or what have you um, so I think employers are working hard to give that control back to um, b- back to employees or at least the per- perception that they have more control than they realize so I think a lot of that's going to help and that's what maybe leads me to my second side of the coin that I was mentioning which is the other thing our data showed is that of the people who want to be self-employed within the next two years, and that's one of the things we always ask in these surveys, um, more of them are coming out of a small business than one of these, you know, what we call a larger company. Okay. So if small business, you know, might be people with 20 or less, it's more likely that the person saying, hey, I want to, I want to do my own thing. I want to start my own business. It's just more likely at the moment that they're an employee of a small business versus an employee of a large corporation. And um, in some ways, that makes sense because small businesses, it, it, you know, are sort of like incubators for entrepreneurship. Right. So, you know, if you want to learn how to be an entrepreneur, you should go work at a small business, not a large business, because a large business is kind of they're already at this scale where they sometimes don't even remember you know, how to get things started. They just know how to optimize, uh, you know, across the scale that they're working at now. Um, you know, back in the, you know, back at the origin of the company, sh- certainly it was very entrepreneurial, but small businesses in a lot of ways can, you know, can, can be incubators. So, so I think that that's where a lot of the uh, folks may be leaving small businesses to start their own, um, more so than, than, than anyway, than, than large employees.
1: No, interesting. So how, or do you have any advice around actually engaging your employees and actually maybe promoting them within, or maybe, even funding and partnering with some of them on some of their, uh, entrepreneurial ideas, if it's a fit for your business, obviously.
2: Right. I mean, there's two things that come to mind there. I think one for me is around multiple careers and number two is around, uh, values. And so if I'm an, em- an employer in a lot of ways, you know, I have employees that, that work on my team and, you know, I obviously work for, for, for the company as well, but I have, you know, people that are a part of my team. And I think about, you know, how, how best do I you know, want to re- keep them and retain them and keep them interested and such? Uh, you know, anyway, for what it's worth, I think into those, those, those two, um, those, those two, those two buckets. And so the multiple careers piece is this idea that, you know, I think it's important that people should see the ability to have multiple careers within one company yes. um, more and more, more and more. I feel like, you know, people stay in a, at a company for two or three years and they move on and, Oftentimes, that's the best way for them to increase their salary is to find someone else who wants them, versus you know work their way up within within the company. It's back to what I was saying before around the you know the American dream is not so much of climbing the corporate ladder. Right. And so, rather than frame it as a corporate ladder, I think the best one of the best opportunities is to give people the ability to build multiple careers within a company. And so, um, I think um, we've made a real um, you know, strategic effort at FreshBooks to allow people to start in one department, like say customer service, and then move into the product department or start in sales and move into the business development department department and, and effectively just take on different roles and responsibilities. And I think in a lot of ways, that's how you grow is you get, you know, you get a lot of the different um, exposure to, to the different problem sets and you become a better general manager over time by having experience in all these different groups. But I think allowing people to do that, something that most you know that that I would recommend that employers embrace um because as soon as you know people get a little too stuck in one I think that's when you know the only way for them to, to get change is to leave. And then they start to sort of vote with their feet and and um you know anyhow I think that uh that that's a big way to um promote promote engagement. And then the second one on the values base is just for companies to 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 try to live their values a little bit more. Most companies have a set of values um and I would say most often, if you were to ask the employee, like, what are your company's values that they, they may not know them? Or if they know them, they may not say, oh, this is exactly how we use them. So I would um, encourage folks to just be a little bit more values-based. I think it creates a deeper connection with employees around, why do I work for the company that I work for? Um, you know, sometimes we get in the habit of, you know, giving everybody a t-shirt that represents the brand of the company. But if you, if you really want them to wear that t-shirt, they'd be you know, proud of what you do. And I think a lot of that starts with having a stronger connection to values. And so for instance, like one of our values is passion. And so what we say is, you know, it's just important that you're, that you're passionate about what you do. And if not, then you got to find the thing that you're passionate about and do it here. Hopefully you can do it at FreshBooks. But the point is passion is, you know, it's almost like we're trying to say it's your right. To have you know, to be passionate about what you do, and if it's not, then we we gotta you know we gotta talk about that. Um, but having it a part of the value actually makes those conversations easier. Right. And so, um, anyhow, I just you know it, it, anyway, there's there's a list of different values that we that we that we choose, but but spending time on that. And you know, I worked at one company um, in the past when I was in the consulting that I mentioned called uh, McKinsey, and once a year they would have something called Values Day, and they would dedicate a whole day once a year to just exercises and discussions about their company values. And for them, it was a different kind of importance because they were really, um, you know, really disciplined about things like confidentiality and, and trust with their clients because they're often, you know, in, in some pretty uh, sensitive situations when they're advising, you know, strategically. But, you know, but they cared enough about the values to make it a, you know, a day a day event. And I think things like that can go a long way towards building a stronger connection with with employees that doesn't feel so you know, transactional or, or, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, within two or three years, time's out, I'm going to go do something else.
1: No, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, no, I know. I, that's interesting. So I'm curious to get your thoughts around there, at least being an entrepreneur, some people think you don't need to go to college or post-secondary, or you should just kind of come out of high school, start a business with yourself or, you know, some friends. What are your thoughts around going you know, maybe skipping university, and just going in and being an entrepreneur?
2: Well, that's, I, I find, for what, you know, just to be clear, I guess I find it a really fascinating topic. I also want to be hesitant to, you know, lean one way too strongly or another, because I do think it varies, you know, a lot. Sure. But what I could say, you know, what I could say is that, you know, one of the things that we track is um, when we do our sur- survey, we look at, you know, how old are you and did you go to school or not? And you know, where are you located and how how's your business doing? And you know, part of the survey is looking at a bunch of that information. And what we found was that of businesses founded in the last two years, there was no difference in their, in their income um, between whether or not they went to, uh, whether or not they had a college degree. It's and so true. what that suggests to me is that, you know, at least initially, Um, a college degree is not the you know the differentiator there now it could be partly because um, in a lot of these uh, businesses that we serve it tends to be skills that you don't learn in in school now that's not always true i mean um, but certainly if you're a social media expert or you're developing um, you know somebody's uh, you know website or uh, you know maybe you got into uh, some kind of home services or trades uh, there's lots of examples where people are doing things that they didn't actually study And so that, you know, could explain to me why, you know, we don't see that kind of difference. Um, Now it's hard to, you know, say that's causation, right. That's the part I just want to be, you know, careful around. It could be, it could be a bit of of correlation there, but certainly, you know, I think that that means that, you know, there's a real opportunity. I think, and and I think the average I've seen is um, the average graduate from, from university has something like more than $30,000 in in debt. And so, um, you know, you got to think, you know, hard about taking that on. Now, you know, I think you can de-risk, let's say, all kinds of events in your life if you have a degree, because it's just one extra thing to fall back on. But certainly, I, I would say, you know, given the cost of it, given what you want to do, you can you can start to ask yourself, hey, is, the, is that degree the thing that's going to, you know, help me be successful? Or is there different ways that I can learn and, and grow? Um, ultimately, I think a college degree can be a stamp that, you know, you pass some kind of test that you know you have some baseline of knowledge and you can certainly get that in a lot of in a lot of other ways so i i i absolutely believer that you know university not not for everyone um but particularly if you don't know what you want to do hey you know you probably want to get more of an education set yourself up for for uh for success that way
1: no i 100% agree with you and i think the interesting thing just being in kind of the software space for over a couple decades now it's like I've worked with a ton of really smart people that, are, that have been successful with and without a college degree. And some of them are self-taught, some of them taking kind of evening courses, somebody, some of it's a combination of all those things, right? And I, I think just the big thing, it sounds like you need to figure out what works for you, but more or less schooling doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be completely successful or a complete failure. You, you can have kind of either one no matter what you choose, Right.
2: Yeah, you know, I think there's concepts out there in the world that, you know, feel like they resonate to me, particularly on this, this topic. So one example would be the UK is known for this concept called the gap year. Okay. Um, if you're not too familiar with it, the idea is when you graduate high school, you're given one year called your gap year before university starts.
1: Yeah, I think it's smart. And
2: in, yeah, so that's a way to, to um, you know, to, you know, not just be a you know lifelong student, but perhaps you want to travel or what is something else you want to do? In that concept, to me, that would be a great way if you really think you want to be an entrepreneur, well, take that year and you know give it a shot and frankly, if your business takes off, then you probably just want to stick with it. but you're giving yourself you know an opportunity to get some real world experience to try to get out there and sell a product or sell a service or what have you um you know and obviously, you can do that in the summertime and all these other ways that you can try to um you know try to test that out but i you know to me that sounds pretty um you know pretty smart to you know get real experience before going back in because sometimes you know, you feel like what you're learning in school is not as helpful if you don't know how to apply it. Um, so yeah, for those reasons, I think there's a, there's a lot of different paths out there that makes sense, but, um, but that's one that, you know, I think could have a, a, a bunch of, uh, opportunity for people.
1: No, interesting. Is there any advice or things that you've seen work well in small to large, even enterprise business that maybe gets their culture, moving towards being more entrepreneurial because i think in a lot of cases some big kind of corporations or verticals of uh types of of business are potentially in a lot of trouble in a number of years where you know technology is going to cut their staff in in half or maybe into a, like a quarter because it's got most of their stuff just can be built into software like do you have any advice about maybe kind of uh, that you've seen work in, in those different size companies?
2: Well, that's a, that's a tough one. I think it's a good question too. I mean, part of me just thinks it's like the law of nature, so to speak of like the forest for instance, is, you know, it, it, it naturally like, you know, trees die and new ones come up or even, you know, oftentimes forest fires are naturally causing, and it kind of creates this room for growth. And I think a lot of times out just in the business world, that disruption is, is probably pretty natural that, certain companies are just not going to be 200 year old companies, but they could have a great, you know, run for, for 20 years or something, something like that. So sometimes it's just, you know, you're fighting against some trend that no matter what you do, you know, that trend is going to take over. Um, You know, certainly you can see it in uh, you know, in certain, in certain industries. Um, But, but if you really want to think about adapting and by the way, everyone, everyone should, I mean, for the, for, for the most part, um and you want people to help you you know you know want your employees and, and your staff to be a part of that solution to me it just comes down to you have to figure out how to get rid of the fear um and so largely a, a mindset of you know people being afraid to make mistakes uh people being afraid to you know to fail um, afraid, you know, to just maybe look bad in front of their peers. Um, and it's, it can be a debilitating thing. I mean, everyone, you know, has been, you know, everyone has experience of where they probably felt fear and it, you know, it, you take less risk. Um, now sometimes you can argue fear is good. If you don't have a little bit of paranoia, then maybe you don't do the extra work that's required to be successful. So, you know, again, it's hard to take this stuff and be entirely black and white, but I think that from a cultural standpoint, if you can, find a way to get people a little bit more, you know, comfortable with risk taking, um, you know, that's that, that that's a good thing. Um, obviously, you just need guardrails, right? I mean, the, the history is also laden with companies that took too much risk and, you know, created uh, catastrophes for others. So, um, I, you know, I just yeah. try to be as cautious as I can with some of the, uh, you know, with, with it being like an absolute answer. But, But I find, you know, particularly when we're thinking about new business models and new features and, you know, things that um, our customers may want, you know, we just have to um, get people to to get out of the, you know, the, the fear mind space and get more into the creativity. And that's where I think a lot of those, um, you know, new concepts come from.
1: No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think it's always interesting, right? Just having somebody like yourself that, that is willing to talk about this stuff. And I think at the end of the day, you basically just need to figure out what works for you, And your situation, right? And everybody was willing to give you tons of advice about what you should do or don't. But at the end of the day, you basically just need to see what works for you and your company. And I think even like you guys have done that, right? You guys have grown, you guys have built other stuff, integrations. And and you guys have done that really well at FreshBooks. So... Just, you know, being a user for, you know, decades now, just seeing how the platform's kind of evolved over time from the early days to kind of where it is now, right, is has been cool.
2: Yeah, and I think just as you were describing that, the one thing that came to mind that I think is worth, uh, you know, sort of doubling down on just for, sure. just for a moment is this idea that we, you know, all that we've done, we haven't done it ourselves, meaning... Partnerships are a huge part of how you know, we go to market and how we make sure that we try to have a whole product solution for small business owners. And so I think that concept can, can relate to all business sizes. And so particularly when I think about small business owners out there, um, you know, I, think it, I think the lesson there is just not to try to do everything yourself. Sometimes it's software like we've been talking about today, but it's oftentimes also collaboration with people that can help at different parts of the business. You know, you may be really great at, you know, sales, but not marketing, or you may, you know, be terrified of going out and selling, but you are absolutely great at executing on projects. And so, you know, figuring out how you can partner with people to help, um, you know, takes a lot of that pressure off of you having to do everything. And I think that, you know, is the same kind of concept that that we've used. And, and I would I would certainly advocate that uh, time and again.
1: No, that's that's very cool. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So... How about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh, FreshBooks?
2: Sure thing. Uh, at FreshBooks.com is the best place to go. Uh, all the data that I mentioned is available there. There's lots of different reports that we slice by uh, types of entrepreneurs and gender and generation and all all, all that sort of thing. Um, as well as at FreshBooks.com, you can create a free trial and give, give it a shot. And then uh, for me personally, um, I can be reached at M Bakerston uh, on Twitter and happy to chat with anyone.
1: Perfect, Matt. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man.
2: Wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Okay. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at building the future to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.